You're listening to 3CR. Up next, we bring you a discussion on gendered violence at work. The discussion took place at the Geelong Trades Hall as part of the Working Women Get Organised conference held in November 2017. Jodie Peskett, Women's Safety and Rights Organiser from the We Are Union campaign at the Victorian Trades Hall, starts the discussion. This is a statement that we have developed. This is where we, before we do anything at Trades Hall now, we make... We recommit ourselves to this, and this in part came out of our Stop Gender Violence campaign, um, and I'll tell you where it came out in a little bit. But we do we read this out um, at the beginning of everything, so I'd like to do that today. We are a union. We stand united as part of a great movement of workers. Our diversity is our strength. Our solidarity is our power. We respect and take care of each other. Prejudice and discrimination, including misogyny, racism, homophobia and all other hatreds have no place in our movement. We rise together. Today and every day, we commit ourselves to achieving justice, fairness, equality and dignity for all workers. Solidarity forever. At the end of that, like I'm hoping eventually this gets adopted through the union movement and we all break into solidarity forever at the end. Sort of like building a church, right? Um, Um, Maybe you get tax exemptions. Well, this is another, you know, potential win here. Um, Welcome to newcomers. So yeah, so we do that now at the beginning of everything, um, and it's a really nice way to open and start a session. Okay, so um, obviously today we're going to be talking about gendered violence at work, and that's a pretty new term for a lot of union spaces, um, but it will become clear as we go on. Um, so we're, at Traitor, we have a Stop Gendered Violence at Work campaign, which is working in this area, and what we're doing broadly is we are putting gendered violence, sexual harassment, sexism at work in an OHS framework. And so that's what broadly we're going to talk about today. And I'll give you a little intro into how we got to this campaign and then sort of broadly the issue and then we'll have some time to discuss um, and then towards the end I'll um, let you all know what's happening, what the union movement is doing so far and we can talk about how yourselves could get involved or things that you could do in your union or that your union could do if your union's not already doing something in this space. Um, But before I start, because um, of the subject matter that we're going to be talking about today, I just, we always just like to start with telling everyone that it's okay not to be okay when we're talking about this topic, because this, a lot of, most people have experienced this, particularly women um, and uh, uh, members of the LGBTQI plus community, this... um, this really speaks to our experience. So if at any point in the discussion you feel like you need to pop out, um, please feel free to do that. I will endeavour to pop out just to double-check that you're okay. But also I wanted to um, alert you to some numbers up here. So 1-800-RESPECT is a 24-7 um, counselling and referral service for sexual assault. Um, so if you feel like that's a number you can call for support, also, um, We Are Union Women, which is uh, the team that I work for at Trade Talk. If you feel like after you leave today, some stuff's come up and you're not quite sure where to go, you can feel free to give us a call or drop us an email and we can point you in the right direction. Okay. Um, and something else I just wanted to touch on is um, the topic we're talking about today can be controversial. There's a lot of different opinions on it. Mm. We're talking about gendered violence, you know, and that's a whole, the fact that we're talking, we're saying it's violence is a whole area of conversation. And um, we really love to have that conversation. We really think it's important to have that dialogue and that discussion. Um, but just wanted to remind Ryan, let's keep it respectful so that we can really get the most out of it. So just basic stuff. You know, don't talk when other people are talking. Listen respectfully. Address the idea, not the person. Those kind of things. Is everyone comfortable with those kind of parameters? Does anyone feel like we need to... There's anything particularly that they need 
for people to respect in the room to help them participate today? No? Excellent. Um, so we're going to look at doctrine advance for union action is the broad topic. Um, it's a key priority for the Victorian union movement. We're going to broadly cover what it is, why it's union business, and what's your role or what actions you can take in this space. Before I launch into uh, what the campaign is um, and start talking about gender violence, I just wanted to talk a little bit uh, briefly about how we got here. So We Are Union Women, as I said, refers to the team at Trades Hall. There are five of us, but I like to point out it's only 3.8 FTE, just because I think that's important, because people forget that. <laughs> so it refers to the team at Trades Hall. We have, there's our lead, there's myself who works in this space and has a, a responsibility for a couple of other portfolios. Portfolios. Then we have um, Pierre Chaveri, my colleague, who works in the family violence as a workplace issue uh, space. We have a comms officer and we have another organiser who works across both portfolios. So it refers to us, the team, the unit at Tradesor, but also, and more importantly, We Are Union Women refers to the broad network of union and non-union women who have just said that they want to campaign with us and come together and create a collective to advance women's safety and rights at work. Um, and currently to date we have 11,000 women and men and um, non-binary uh, people and all sorts of people in our network who want to work on these issues around gender with us, which is really fabulous. And everything we do wouldn't happen without those activists and that network. So We Are Union Women is about the collective and... and more broadly rather than our team. Um, our team, Trades always had a women's resource at the hall in um, Melbourne. Um, it was 0.61 women's officer who did a head in trying to get across everything. Um, but in 2015, um, We Are Union Women kind of started officially, um, and which is where our team started. So we've been going since 2015. Um, and why We Are Union Women? I mean, I want to open it up to the floor. Why would we have a spe specific unit or, or, or we are union women in the union movement? Anyone? Yes. Women are systematically discriminated against. Yeah. Can have a voice. Yep. Others? Lack of recognition in the general sphere. Yep. Yep, all those things. So women, um, women have particular and compounding um, forms of oppression and disadvantage um, that we need to specifically focus on take affirmative action around, we need to have a voice within the movement and broadly. The union movement, 50, I think it's 54% of the union movement nationally are women. Women actually make up the majority of union members. Um, but when you think of a unionist, you probably think of a CFMEU uh, construction worker, big burly guy. Reality is the average union member is someone like yourselves. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. the media, just, because of the photos yeah, we see also. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to say But the biggest, um, the, biggest, uh, the biggest union membership in Victoria are the nurses with 7,000, um, and predominantly women. So that's another reason, is that we make up the majority of unions, and some of the biggest growing sectors um, in the economy are female-dominated industries, caring, health education. So if we're looking to the future as a union movement where we have to organise and the kinds of issues that we have to address that are facing workers, you know, that looks pretty pretty female, pretty, you know, um, one way. And so um, that's another reason that we exist as well. Um, so that's a bit of history. Um, so when we started um, at the hall in 2015, um, instead of us all sitting around deciding what we should campaign on for working women, 
uh, we had a crazy, crazy feminist idea that instead we would actually go and talk to Victorian working women and actually ask them what the issues they were they faced at work and what they thought the solutions are, what they wanted to do about it. So we started this process called Raw Chat, and um, Raw Chat stands for Women's Rights at Work Chat. Also, happily, the planet <laughs> Raw. I am a woman, hear me Raw. It's like a happy coincidence. Um, but basically, <laughs> but basically, what that was is it was a facilitated conversation, an organising conversation that we had. We designed a kit that meant any woman could pick it up and have a conversation in their workplace with their union sisters, um, with their mothers' group, with their you know, woodworking club, um, so they could have this conversation themselves. Um, and we also had an online uh, version uh, survey, which meant that women could go on and share their stories if they wanted to in more detail. And so through this process, we not only uh, collected the voices of working women, um, we also collected some really important data for making some arguments and some cases in this space. Um, and to date, um, we have spoken to over 800 women in Melbourne, in Geelong, regionally, rurally, we've spoken across the board, union and non-union. Um, we've spoken to, we've been um, in cultural communities, indigenous communities. We've started, sort of um, really made an effort to get across, to really capture the diverse experience of working women everywhere. Um, so that's, that's what we did. And out of that, and let me tell you, it was a crazy idea in the union. They're like, what, you're going to go and talk to working mm-hmm. women? Like, we were like, yeah, just... Bear with us, you'll see, it'll be great. Um, so out of, this, out of this process, we collected all these voices together and we looked at um, what working women were saying and we came up with our feminist agenda, hence the T-shirts. And basically this was the platform. This is what women told us were their biggest issues that they were facing at work. So this is what they told us they wanted to campaign on. So the first one that came out was gendered violence. Women, of course, didn't talk about it as gendered violence. They talked about a gamut of experience. We chose that term. Um, and I'll talk a bit more about that later. The next one was gender pay inequality, discrimination because of caring, so that's both caring for children, pregnancy discrimination, but also caring for elders, caring for disabled, um, and other kinds of caring. And then the final one, which initially we had as underpinning the top three, but then decided to make it a standalone issue, was the issue of precarious and insecure work. Because of course women make up the majority of casual workers, part-time workers and people in secure and, preca- insecure and precarious work. So that was what women told us. And out of that, the issue that was affecting them the most was gendered violence. So that's what we decided to do our first campaign on because that's what the women said was the most important and affecting them the most. So that's where the campaign came from. Um, it came from working women um, and they were the ones that told us that that's what we needed to do. And so now um, this campaign is about us working with those women and men um, to to actually make inroads on this. So this is a, just a rough um, a rough look at what uh, what women were telling us. So the violence that Victorian women report experiencing included offensive language and Im- imagery, um, put down, sexual innuendo, stalking, intimidation, verbal abuse, ostracism in the workplace. So like being ganged up on, particularly male dominated industries, was a problem. Um, rude gestures right through to sexual assault and rape in the workplace. So this is, these are the things that women were talking about and it was happening to them. And it was happening um, across industries, so in blue-collar and white-collar, there was no difference. It was happening in male-dominated industries and female-dominated industries. It was happening at entry-level roles right through to senior 
CEO level. Um, so it was across the board. Um, so it was really widely and deeply felt. Um, so what we're going to do for the rest of this... Um, so that's what William told us, and what we'll do is I'll talk about in the next little bit how we came to this idea of gendered violence and, and what we saw as the way to start making inroads on this. Um, but here's a few stats. Um, so women work, worker experience told us that gendered violence is endemic in our workplaces and that gendered violence that women are experiencing at work is causing them serious injuries. Um, and that's a few statistics. The one that got us... So 64% of women reported experiencing bullying sexual harassment, um, bullying or harassment at work, which was massive, and we think that that's underreported because a lot of the experiences that women have at work, they normalise. Um, so we actually think that's probably bigger. But the other statistic that really stood out to us was 19% um, of women who participated in a raw chat um, said that they had left a workplace because they felt unsafe. That's massive. Almost 20% of respondents had left a workplace. They had potentially left secure work because they didn't feel safe. Um, so that really, that shocked us and that shocked um, the wider Victorian Union movement. I think that kind of brought it home to them. Because we're used to seeing lots of statistics about violence against women, right? Like it's kind of, we're getting a bit desensitised to it. So that's the breakdown. Um, 44% of women had experienced discrimination at work. Again, we know that's probably higher um, because we normalise a lot of these experiences. We get used to it. But um, when you compare these figures nationally, one more than one woman per week is killed by a partner or former partner. One in three women has, has experienced physical violence and one in five women has experienced sexual violence. And eight in ten women between aged 18 and 24 were harassed on the street in the past year. So... What women were telling us and the data we were getting from Raw Chat was consistent with data more broadly about violence against women in the community. Um, so there was no surprises there. So, very quickly. This is... Um, this is the... So based on what women were telling us, we thought, okay, so how, there's all these, this whole range of experiences that women are having... Um, how do we how do we capture this? How do we talk about this? What's going on? And so this is where we came up with this. We started calling this gendered violence at work. And there are a couple of reasons that we did that. I'll talk about that at the end, but I'll just take you through the definition briefly. And there's going to be an opportunity in a couple of minutes for us to have a conversation about this as well. Jodie Peskett, Women's Safety and Rights Organiser at Victorian Trades Hall, facilitating a discussion around gendered violence at work. You're listening to 3CR. Um, so gendered violence is physical, sexual and or psychological harm directed at a worker because of their gender, gender identity, sexual orientation or because they do not adhere to dominant gender stereotypes or socially prescribed gender roles. Um, gender violence includes violence directed at women because they are women, violence directed at a person because they identify as LGBTQI+, and violence directed at a person because they don't adhere to socially prescribed gender roles or dominant understandings of masculinity and femininity. Um, so that's broadly what we had. In our definition, we're going back and forth around this at the moment. This has evolved over the last 12 months. This has kept evolving. And we're trying to get better at, at this and, and making sure that we're capturing the experience of not just binary, cis, you know, um, straight women, but a whole range of people who are experiencing gendered violence. And that's partly why we called it gendered violence, not violence against women, because it is, it's gendered violence... Um, and there's other reasons, but that's part, part of the reason. Um, and then the other important 
part of the definition is that um, gender incidents of gendered violence in the workplace occur because of power inequalities between workers based on dominant gender stereotypes and socially prescribed gender roles. So really important in this understanding of gender violence is this idea of power um, and power based on gender inequality and other forms of discrimination. So um, gendered violence can be perpetrated by anyone, regardless of their <coughs> sex, gender or sexuality. So not just men perpetrate gender violence. However, men are predominantly the perpetrators of gender violence and women and people who identify as LGBTQI are predominantly the victim survivors of this violence. Um, so, but it can be perpetrated by anyone, um, both men and women. Um, and gendered violence at work can be perpetrated by those internal to the workplace, so managers, colleagues, um, people you work with, basically. Um, it can be perpetrated by uh, clients, so inmates, patients, um, children if you're a teacher, paying customers in the service industry. Um, and it can also be perpetrated by those external to the workplace, so con contractors who are on site doing something, um, delivery, delivery like, uh, personnel, um, people outside the workplace who might be visiting the workplace for, for any reason. Um, and strangers and, and intruders as well fall under that category. Um, so we, and we did have women talking about that um, and the fact that, distressingly, their employers, even when it was an intruder to the workplace, the employer were not doing anything about that or seeing that as an issue. Um, so, yeah, gendered violence is about uh, power. Um, sexism, gender inequality, homophobia, transphobia are at the root cause of gendered violence. Um, and other discrimination is directed at a person because they don't meet cultural expectations around gender, sexuality. Um, and any worker can experience gendered violence as well. So men can experience gendered violence as well. Um, for example, if you're um, a male nurse, you can experience, you, can, you know, you have your sexuality questioned. Um, a lot of male nurses report, like, sexual harassment from... Um, patients and stuff because they're seen as like again because they're in a feminized industry they're seen as all of a sudden sexually available again that's because of gender but i mean so men can experience it there's a lot of nuance and complexity around this issue yeah um but yeah so anyone can experience this but we know that the majority of people's experiences are women and people who um identify as lgbtqi plus um the other important point to make around this and we, we are trying to commit to do some more work around this um, to get better at this in our team, is that while any worker can experience gender violence at work, there are groups of particularly vulnerable workers. So groups of workers who experience intersecting and multiple forms of discrimination and oppression, like workers from cowl backgrounds, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers, workers with a disability, they are particularly susceptible for this and they often experience higher rates of this kind of violence for a whole range of reasons. Um, and we do have some statistics around that as well, because um, we did, in our raw chat, when we went out, we got a really great um, diversity of lived experience, but we really need to do more space in that area, because, yeah, that's a particular a group of particularly vulnerable workers. Um, so that's broadly the definition. At this point, I'll stop briefly. Are there any questions at this point? Happy for me to race along so we can get to the discussion? Yeah. So that's probably how we define it. Um, what's the impact of gender violence? Well, when we started looking at the experiences of that women were telling us um, and other workers, um, this was the impact they talked about. So um, gender violence at work was causing physical injuries and illness, um, psychological 
injuries and illness, feelings of isolation, right through to um, PTSD and suicide. So it's having a massive, massive impact. And of course, importantly, economic hardship. We had that 20% figure of people who had left to secure a workplace because they didn't feel safe. So this, a lot of similar stuff going on here and challenges and barriers around family violence you see in this space as well. So that's the impact. Okay, so before I move on to talking about the OHS frame and the stuff that we're doing, I wanted to spend um, five minutes amongst yourselves talking about um, what gendered violence looks like in your workplace or in your lived experience, if you'd like to talk about that, or in workplaces generally. So we've got a really great diverse group here from a lot of different backgrounds um, and different workplaces. Okay, if we come back together, can I ask um, someone or one of the groups to volunteer uh, to just tell us briefly what they talked about, what violence, gender violence looks like in the workplace or in your workplace? So I heard lots of conversations. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sherry, Sherry. Oh, I'm so yeah. Um, I work, uh, I'm a student, I'm studying in conservation land management, so it's very male-based. Um, and when we're out in the field and you know doing machinery work and whatever, the all the male teachers, always the older male teachers, will always say, "Oh, boys, can you get the trailer? Can you do the engine?" Rah, rah, rah. And like, I know that I can pour engine fuel into a tank, <laughs> like whatever. Um, but then, because they're not including you in that, then you're like, "Oh, okay. Then maybe I'm not as good at doing that." And then it works its way down through everything. And like, I know I'm good at botanical Latin, but because I am not treated the same changing an engine, suddenly everything's questionable. And that has a lasting effect on me um, because you become desensitised to the groping and the name-calling, but when you doubt yourself as a person, that screws you forever. Yeah, absolutely. And when we hear that experience, like most people in this room will have had that experience. Um, and this is a really important part of, of what we're trying to do around this definition of gender violence is really hone in on the psychological impact and injuries that women experience because of this, which is that self-doubt, um, that lack of the confidence, your confidence is effective, which can lead to anxiety, depression, all those things. Yeah. Others? What do other people talk about? Yes. the context. But um, men in positions of power in workplaces um, saying things like it's women's jobs to do the dishes and that kind of jovial joking stuff. Um, to the point where I think the, the women, this is just something I've witnessed, where the women who um, are kind of say under that man, but he was a senior person, feel like they just have to go along with it yeah. and joke along with it because they actually feel like yeah, that's just what they have to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it creates a culture in the workplace, right? When I, went, when I was 16 and I worked in a pizza shop, we always, the girls, had to make the coffee for the boss. Like, always. And they're like, oh, the girls can just do it. We're spooning coffee into a mug. And it's difficult to be like... Because when you're a teenager, like, I just realised you put up with so much crap. Like, you know, we were paid less. We were also paid, like, $10 an hour after a raise. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And the, the way that the boys just felt... Because it's country town. So boys would just come in and, like, ask us if we wanted to do stuff with them or like make an innuendo and be like think it's hilarious if you don't get it yeah and it's just so there's all these assumptions about yeah. like the gender stereotypes about 
what what a woman does. They make the coffee. There's domestic stuff, but also you know that they're totally you can just sexually proposition them and like that they're available. Yeah, all these things. Anything else that anyone talked about? What oh, actually, yeah, like? I did a um, I did a uh, a machinery um, excavator back backhoe course thing, <laughs> and you pay a lot of money. <laughs> And um, and the, the 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 two guys, old guys that were running, it was like, um, oh yeah, so who's gonna make? I was the only woman there. Who's gonna make you coffee? And it's all for me. And I said, I pay too much here to be making you coffee. Yeah, but the fact that that would even happen, that even 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 if it's a joke, sometimes it's always brushes. Oh, it's just a joke. Yeah, yeah. So then there's backlash <laughs> if you push back. Yeah. So this happens. Replies like everywhere. Something along those lines also, um, I've got a forklift driver's ticket and I'm out there on the forklift and the guy in the truck's telling me how to drive. And yeah. I just looked at him and said, I've got a licence, mate. Yeah. yeah. It's either doubt or like over-assurance, like you've got great work in. Yeah, they did that patronising stuff. Oh, you were really good. I said, yeah, I know. But either, either response is quite undermining, right? And it has that psychological impact and it compounds over time. And it creates, like you said, it creates a workplace culture, which is based on these dominant understandings of gender and sexuality and socially prescribed ideas about gender role and men and women and people more generally and it has an impact um so yeah it's broad and it's everywhere and most people um have experienced it at some point and women particularly like we can all like the amount of times i've been mansplained like i've had sexism mansplained to me and i was like i'm sorry you're what now like it creates these it reinforces these assumptions and that has really significant consequences not just for women but for other people who don't conform to those kind of ideas and stereotypes i'll go there and there and then i'll move on yeah another example as an older woman um some men that I've experienced when they consider you as an old woman I think they must think that you know you're like their mother or something like that so they get you but this is just an example get you to do all the work for a course or something and then happen to magpie everything that you've done and it's suddenly their work and I don't know if they're assuming that you're so motherly you're going to say oh dear dear yeah you can have that yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah I was just going to say that it's it's hard as well because if you actually like baking, then you you don't want to be the person that like continues on the tradition of making everyone bake. It's kind of the same as in childcare. Like if you're good at childcare, like you get a lot of dads that just sort of assume that you're good at it because you're a woman. Like it's the same dads that'd be like, I'm babysitting this weekend. Who are you babysitting? Aren't you a doctor? Who like how do you need the money this badly that you're babysitting other people's kids? Yeah. No. It just baffles the mind because a lot of us actually do babysit because we're poor childcare workers. Yeah, yeah, you've just got people yeah. coming with we're babysitting. Absolutely. And then you get men in the childcare industry that are targeted because people think they're sexual predators. Yeah, so like, that's the, terrifying no as well. You know? yep. Yeah, so that's absolutely the case. We, we, um, we have a, a guy my boss knows and we use him in some of our training as an example. Like he's an early child educator and he their assumptions are made about his sexuality so everyone will assume that he's gay and then from that they'll assume that he's a sexual predator mm-hmm. that is they be in children, right? that is gendered violence in the workplace you know yeah. actually my work is really good on one floor it's balanced we have a same number as men as women it's the only center i've ever worked at where they make i think they must make an effort to hire the men yeah. because Great. we have men room leaders we have men in the management not as many there's yeah. only like like a max six 
of a you know workplace of seventy, yeah. but they're they're there. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things when we talk about later and in your pack, which I'll, I'll go through just towards the end. There's a a useful tool in there, and one of the things we say is a solution to preventing gender violence in the workplace is as simple as the way you who you have employed so you have a diversity of people and that diversity of people is across all right roles you know so like in a hospital not all the nurses or the majority of nurses are women and the majority of doctors are men but that it's there are more women in medical school than men yeah um last one and yeah, then i'll yeah okay to, yeah. just quickly only because this discussion is just uh, made me remember something. I I I worked in nursing many 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 years ago um, when we hardly even thought of male nurses. Um, and and um, then I went into truck driving um, ten years ago or something like that. And uh, very different from a from a so-called female sort of position to to then a so-called male uh, looking um, position. And um, it was strange, actually, as a truck driver, I had many comments from men wondering how I could drive the truck, uh, you know, as if, as if, because I was small, I'm not, you know, sort of big and, and everything, yeah. and they, they said, well, how, 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 how come you can drive a truck? And I just I, I never could understand like the question, as if, as if, I know, exactly, <laughs> and, and I used to say, well, shit. Sure. Well, you know, awesome. you don't have to be strong. It's everywhere. And just because I'm not big, you know, they, they thought it was amazing yeah. and I could drive the truck. Yeah, and it's everywhere. And it's, and it's like that you say, like, and I've just remembered, like, because we normalise it, we get so used to it, right? You're listening to 3CR and a discussion on gendered violence as an oh and issue. Yeah, so thank you. It can actually be in the physical design as well. So I'm an urban design student, and if you look at the planning and the actual physical design of the architecture and the spaces, um, my experience and certainly a lot of things that we would have read in the press and that we hear about uh, is that, you know, there's opportunity for violence in these closed spaces. Mm -hmm. And you have things like the magistrate's court where there's visibility from the street even into the public toilets with windows. And you have all that sort of stuff happening as well in childcare centres where there's a real push to have that visibility. Why doesn't that happen in certain industries? Because it's embedded and it's designed that way. Yeah, absolutely. And again, in the kit we talk about um, some of the aspects around this is around what the workplace looks like, how things are designed. Uniforms is another big one. Like um, a lot of metro, the inspectors who are on trains and stuff, they, I mean, they had to fight really hard to get women's pants. Like, because they're trying to get into... And then, and if you're non-binary, like, it's even harder because, you know, we work, everything is binary. So you're just massively, like, so on top of that, there's a whole other range of challenges, you know. Um, I know V-Line, they have a big... They're trying to argue with V-Line at the moment. Um, the women conductors on V-Line have these... They're, all their shirts are see-through. And so you can see their bras and stuff through them. And they get a lot of sexual harassment and stuff because of that. And they just want shirts sure. that aren't see-through. And it's, they're, they're arguing, Milan is arguing about this. And it's a health and safety issue, right? So, um, yeah, it's across the board and it comes in many forms and it manifests in really insidious ways, um, which is one of the things that makes it a challenge. But that leads me to the next thing, and I want to spend five minutes, I think we can do it as a group because we're quite small, is looking at this question of why gendered violence happens at work. Before I do that, I'll just, this was um, a that we did for a stunt that we did with Element 5. Element 5 is a big building company that the CFMU has a lot of issues with, rightly so. Um, and one of their site um, 
site managers actually perpetrated gender violence against a female HSR uh, union um, health and safety officer. Um, and these were things that he literally sent email to her um, and he continues to be to work at that site. Nothing happened. The police were called in. There was reported to police. The police laid charges, but he still works. So we had a massive rally with the CFMU and the We Are Union Women Network and women called out, we turned out to the Element 5 officers and had a big rally and protest around this because it's, it's not good enough. So all this, this is actually the stuff he said and um, he still works there. And actually during that rally, I wasn't there, sadly, um, but there was a whole bunch of uh, Element 5 men, like managers who were standing on the balcony, like taking photos and jeering at the unionists and the women who were protesting. Like, so we were protesting gender violence and like at the same time, there was gender violence being perpetrated. So, you know, that was fun. But so, you know, this is happening now. This was just early in the year, June. So, um, but yeah, so that's where that comes from. Um, and it can be quite confronting. People kind of go like, ooh, you put that on a flyer? We're like, yeah, we put that on a flyer. Like, the guy emailed it to someone, like, to a woman. So, yeah, we're going to put it on a flyer. I like that he felt comfortable enough to email it. He just left a he paper trail. Yes. Yeah, he left a paper emails. trail. Yeah, because there's, no, there's often no consequences with this stuff. And there were no consequences. Yeah, well, not so far. Yeah, we're working on it. But um, So why does gender violence happen at work? So we've talked about what it looks like, and, it, and it's, there's a range of things, but why, why does it happen? Um, I was just going to say, uh, I, th- I think if it continues to happen at work, um, <laughs> there's a big problem with the supervisors, the management and, and so forth, depending, depending on the workplace. I think uh, a whole lot of work has to be done with the uh, HSRs and, and so forth. Um, yep. it's, a, it's a big OHS. Um, at my uh, workplace, situation. that would be sackable. That's good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> but that, that's part of the problem. So there's a problem is a response to this. It's not taken seriously. It happens. It's normalised outside of work. And then, of course, if this is normalised, these kind of assumptions and prejudices and stereotypes are normalised outside of work, of course they're not going to stop at the office door or the factory gate. Workers are going to bring those with them. And then on top of that, you've got power structures in workplaces. So you've got managers, people in positions of authority, who are often men. We know that men dominate, old white men dominate in that space. And so you've got, of course, it's not getting taken seriously. Most places or things aren't being done because the people with the power are not going to, who are also the perpetrators, right? So there's a whole range of stuff going on. I think also looking at that structural gender inequality, like the stereotypes and things too, but like things like that we don't have equal pay, that most of our politicians, I mean, like all of that stuff is embedded throughout all of our systems, including work. Absolutely. In my workplace, all the men have full-time jobs. Yep, so women are concentrating on global parts of the I've been there for 21 years, have never been offered a full-time job, always part-time work. Yep. So if you're, you're in a very vulnerable position in that workplace, but also in the labour market as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Which is crazy. I've heard stories of a male-dominated workplace. It's a construction site or a building site, but it was the only woman there at the site, and she kept complaining about, I think it was the toilet or the smoker room. It was the walls covered in naked women and mm-hmm. uh, I think different positions women were in and horrible. she kept complaining, kept complaining got, and the reply she got from the male co-workers, oh get, get used to it, you know, you, you should be used to it in this industry, just like what? Yeah, what? So, and that's, that material even being on the wall is gender violence. I, I love her response which she got a pic, uh, cut out, picture of a naked guy, put on the wall and then the guy's like oh what are you doing? Disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so it's normalised, and it's you have these dominant cultures that are patriarchal and sexist and misogynistic. Yeah. yeah.
Um, I think a lot of it comes from the home life as well, because from violent family situations where there is drugs and um, violence and sexual assault, it's just that is like it's a family unit. You don't talk about that outside, but that um, behaviour still carries on to outside of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then it's normalised again, and so it just sort of that vicious cycle and it, yeah so it gets carried on into and the workplace absolutely and the power structures that are in the home where that's happening are replicated in the workplace yeah. the patriarchal power structures yeah um i was going to say that because i think bullying is quite a lot more common in the workplace um just generally not talking about gender as such yeah. but bullying um and people are scared about talking up about what's going on in their offices and what what might be, you know, it can be very subtle, and um, but people are often scared to talk up about that, yeah. no matter whether they're in an office full of men, women, or mixed, because they're scared about losing a job or yeah. whatever it is. Um, so you have kind of that that already there, which has always been there and is probably always going to be there. There's always going to be bullying and harassment at work, um, but then you've got this. You know, you've got these huge social norms as well that just, um, just I think, make it really, really easy for for women, especially. Um, obviously, it does happen to men, but I think it makes it really easy for men to to um, bully women and yeah. to to oppress them in the workplace. It's just, re- it's just like a perfect environment because they know maybe that woman desperately needs that job. Maybe she's on her own. Maybe she's trying to raise children by herself. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, you know, she's part time. They know that she's probably the security for her isn't that great. Yeah. So she's not going to talk up about it. Yeah. So it's just, just years really of the undermining of herself. Yeah, it's and just that. really yeah. easy yeah. for it to continue. Absolutely. And if there isn't managers who are prepared to take action and prepared to acknowledge what's going on, then it just makes the whole thing so easy to happen. Yeah, which brings us to happily to what what do we need to do about this? So those are all absolutely the things that underpin gendered violence and why it happens at work. And broadly, we capture that as cultures of sexism and discrimination around gender, socially prescribed gender stereotypes and gender norms. Um, And when you look at those statistics, the raw chat statistics and the national statistics, they line up. So if it's happening in society, of course it's happening in the workplace. And for the same right reasons it continues in society are the same reasons that it happens in the workplace. So let me just get forward a little bit and then we can come back and have a bit more of a conversation about what, as, as activists and unionists, um, we can do about it. So basically, all these conversations that we had with women and our thinking around this took us and the fact that gender violence is everywhere and that it is injuring women and that's the really important thing the impact is that it's injuring women and other uh, workers in the workplace and so for us we say that gender violence is a serious occupational health and safety hazard um, that causes physical and psychological injuries to workers in the workplace across the board um, and it's but so not only is it a serious oh and it's in, this thing is in the workplace and it's injuring women. So therefore, it's an occupational health and safety hazard. Not only is it an occupational health and safety hazard, like all occupational health and safety hazards, it is a hazard over which employers and duty holders, which is the technical OHS, which I know a lot about now. Well, not really. You know a lot more, but I'm learning and I'm becoming a convert. 
but it's an oh, it's like it's a hazard that workers have a level of control over. So an employer can control. It, there are controls. It can minimise and manage and try and eliminate the risks that that lead to gender violence in the workplace. It's a hazard, and like any hazard, there are risks. And some of the risks are the way uh, cultures in the workplace, cultures of sexism, misogyny, patriarchy, homophobia, transphobia. Um, it's also about how workplaces are designed. So do you have appropriate facilities for people who might currently work at your workplace, but people who might in the future work at your workplace who might have different um, needs? Um, do you have... Is work designed in such a way that there's not... Do you have a workplace that's really gender-segregated? Are all classic in unions, in a lot of unions, even often women unions like the ASU that have massive female membership, um, predominantly organisers are men and administration staff are women. So what does that say about our assumptions about the roles and capabilities and skills of men and women? So, but these are things that work that employers and duty holders can control. There are, there are risks that you can identify and minimise and manage to prevent this from happening. And not only that, when it happens in the workplace, it's an occupational health and safety hazard. And like any other occupational health and safety hazard, when a worker is injured by it, you have a duty of care to, um, to address that injury, to support that worker, um, if, you, if you can't remove the hazard. Yeah? Uh, I, I found it a lot harder to sort of... Um um, deal with the situation in that, you know, like if you have a, a hazard, let's just say someone breaks their arm, that's something visible, that's mm-hmm. physical, okay? Yes. And, and and you can't go wrong, it's broken, it's broken, yeah. the arm. But when you have someone who is verbally abused, the other person could just say, oh, no, that's I didn't do anything, oh, it's just a laugh, ho, ho, ho. Uh, I mean, you know, they, uh, someone can deny the verbal yeah. abuse. So, so how do we really get on top of yeah. it? So, and that's true. There's a lot of crossovers between this and what you're saying about bullying. There's a lot of similarities. So bullying is a, is a recognised occupational health and safety hazard by WorkSafe, and there's a lot of similarities. So you're right. that A form of gender violence, people can deny it, but this is the thing when you start to look at it in the OHS frame, because it is an occupational health and safety issue. Women are getting injured. So if you look at it in that frame, okay, that person might have verbally abused someone would be denying it, right, just like in bullying. But what you do is you look at the workplace and the employer and did the employer take the necessary steps to minimise the risk of that incident happening? So is it a workplace where there is pornography on the walls? Is it a workplace where there are cultures of sexism and, um, and misogyny? Is it a workplace where um, certain types management styles or the use of aggression and violence is praised or seen as part of a skill set that you need to do the job, which might be the case in some unions with some organising or sales or, you know, like that aggressive aggressive kind of violent behaviour. Or is it a workplace where people at a certain level, it's accepted that you abuse and yell at the admin staff who happen to all be women. Like, so has the employer taken appropriate steps to minimise the risk of that? So it happened, right? Like... And you can establish it happens the same as in bullying. You establish that it happens even if the person denies it. You know, that doesn't always matter. You can still establish that it happened. And then what you have to look at is the employer has the duty of care and did the employer take appropriate steps to minimise that risk. And often in workplaces, they're not, which is why it's happening and it's endemic. I used to do a bit of research in my undergrad on bullying as well, and there's a significant difference, and I apologise for language, but if you look at women investigating bullying and men, 
um, women will pick up on cues that men don't, and it's exactly the same in child protection issues. So that's where, as women, if we can have those conversations and start diarising the physiological presentation of the person, yep. um, and then think about things like, obviously, advocating for Brodie's law to actually be understood and used by yep. specialised police officers, mm-hmm. um, I think that's a really good direction that yep. we're heading in, yep. at least in the state of Victoria. I think that's where we lead the nation, yep. as far Absolutely. as I'm and, and I want to point out as well, Victoria leads the space in gender violence. Gender violence, there's an international conversation around this and there's an ILO convention that's going to be discussed next year about gender violence work. But in Australia and even internationally, Victoria is leading the space in this. This is the first time that we've thought about appropriately gendered violence and sexism and sexual harassment in the workplace as an occupational health and safety issue. You're listening to 3CR and a discussion on gendered violence as an OH&S issue. A really big issue that really needs research and no one's mentioned it. I'm from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union and um, people who do work for the Dole are not protected properly by OHNS at all. So all those, half of those are women, of course, at least, even more. They're not protected because the government's decided work for the Dole isn't work. And so anything could happen and people have died and there's still not enough protection from the government. So all those unemployed people, just babes in the wood, in terms of lands for the slaughter, I mean. And that's a challenge for this space as well. I'll talk about the the actions we're taking to address this, and that is definitely one of the gaps, absolutely. Because this is based on, our framing here is based on an employment relationship, and if you've got a a government that's getting around that, then you've got challenges. Yep, yep. So, So basically, it's an occupational health and safety issue. It's injuring workers. And what do we do as a union movement? Occupational health and safety is our business. Our business as unions is keeping workers safe. It's about getting them to work and getting them home and making sure they're safe and that they are not injured in the process. So OHS is union business, and this is an OHS issue. So this is union business. And on top of that, when we talk about being union, what are the key principles of unionism? What, what, are, what, what do we say? What are our values as unionists? Stronger together. Stronger together, collective. Fairness, justice, equality. This, so if we're union, this has to be part of what we do and who we are. We have to address this like we would address any other occupational health and safety issue. We've established it's union business. So basically what we need is we need WorkSafe must formally recognise gender violence as a serious OH&S issue and make employers take it seriously and take actions to prevent to protect workers. Um, we don't need any changes to the OHS Act for the HSRs in the room. The Act is fine. All we need is WorkSafe to acknowledge it as an occupational health and safety issue and write guidance material about it and start inspecting on it. So there's no legislation change. We just need WorkSafe to take some action. We also need employers to recognise gender violence as a serious OHS issue and take action to stop injuring workers. So we need um, employers to know that this is a big deal and that they have a duty of care and that they're going to have to start fulfilling that duty of care. So, and the final thing is that unions must understand gender violence and have the capacity and tools to campaign. And part of our work is about capacity building our movement, yourselves, us, Geelong Trades Hall, to be able to start taking action. So, um, there's a whole range of stuff we're doing in this space. Before now, we've, taught, we've thought about gender violence, sexual harassment, sexism um, in the workplace as an equal opportunity issue, right? So if a woman has, um, or predominantly women because there's no protections for LGBTQI plus people, it's even worse, but what happens is a woman's reports, I've been sexually harassed at work, 
And so uh, she's often advised by the union, uh, okay, well, we have to report that to Equal Opportunity Commission and we can pursue that and you can take it through the courts. And we know, one, that that's often a process that damages the victim survivor more. Um, often it results in them leaving a workplace because it gets so bad. It's a very individualised response to this issue, right? We're saying you as an individual have to take this out. We'll support you to do it. We'll get you the legal stuff, but it's you have to try and take this through, right? And we know that the courts that through which you can take it through don't have the powers of, say, the Fair Work Commission and um, particularly under the OHS Act as well. They don't have those kind of powers. So um, even if you get an outcome, the courts, the Equal Opportunity Commission has no capacity to enforce um, a verdict. So employers have to come to the table voluntarily, basically. Um, and often the, the outcomes are very minimal. So women might get a payout, but it's, it's usually dismal and it definitely doesn't fix the trauma or the injury that's, that's happened to them. And it's very individualistic. So, but we're unions. Like you said, we're collectivists, right? We have collective solutions to problems. That's what we do. Our power is in our, in our collective. So the way we've been dealing with the past is antithetical. It doesn't make sense from a union point of view. But when you start thinking about it as an occupational health and safety issue, what unions already, we already have a collective response to that. We say, no, OHS is union business. What we're going to do, if there's an unsafe piece of machinery at this site, we're going to shut it down. And then we're going to stand out the front and we're going to picket it until you fix it. And then we're going to call all our comrades and we're going to come in. And even if it's one guy that's lost his finger, the union doesn't say to that guy, oh, that really sucks. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to follow this process by yourself and we'll support you. No, they shut, they shut that shit down, excuse my language. And they, we collectively, we rise and we act. And so, and under the OH&S Act as well, if we, once we consider this in an occupational health and safety frame, it gives us access to the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which is a lot stronger than the Equal Opportunity Act. It means that we can start provi- putting provisional infringement notices, PINs, on work on employers, so which means that WorkSafe has to go and inspect. It means that we can actually enforce the duty of care that employers have. We've got some actually stronger tools and leverage to actually force employers to do this. Equal opportunity legislation doesn't allow us to do that. Um, so, so once we have we have access to that, but also once we put it in occupational health and safety and firmly within an industrial frame, which is where it belongs, all women's issues don't belong in an equal opportunity. Space. We know that inequality, gender inequality is the reason. But don't sideline us. This is an industrial issue. And once we decide it's an industrial issue, or we recognise it as an industrial issue, we have access to the Fair Work Commission. We have access to other industrial legislation that's so much stronger than equal opportunity legislation. We can actually prevent this from happening to women and get some real outcomes. So that's probably what we need to do. The campaign looks like uh, this. So this is what our campaign looks like. We kind of have two strands. Strand one is about building unions' tool capacity and tools. Um, we have a whole bunch of stuff we're doing in there, including some training. There's all details in your pack about that. Um, and then the other, and that, so that's what we've been working a lot this year. Then the other part of this is it's about targeting workplaces and WorkSafe and employers to get them to do what we need to do to recognise this is a serious issue and take action. So we have what we call a gender advanced safety crew, and there are a bunch of activists like yourselves who come together and done a whole bunch of stuff. Here's what's happened so far. So we, re- we released a report exactly, almost exactly a year ago. And this is where we released our report, where we actually started breaking down this raw chat data and talking about this as an issue. Um, we had a conference in March where we had 127 attendees and we workshopped what we thought a campaign would look like. So we went to that conference and we said, hey, this is what we think this issue is. This is what we think a campaign looks like. 
and we spent that day with those 127 people getting feedback on that work on that campaign. So we basically wrote the campaign plan there. Um, then in April, the leadership of the Victorian Union Movement, which is the Victorian Trades or Council Executive, so all the unions are affiliated to Trades Hall, they endorsed it as a priority for the Union Movement, so they endorsed the campaign. So the Victorian Union Movement said this is a priority and we're going we're gonna to commit to this. And then this, is, this was a really exciting thing. Um, so we, have an, we run an Anna Stewart Memorial Project, which is a leadership project um, for union women, and every year our wonderful, wonderful Annas have to come in and they have to plan a stunt and they have to take action. And they chose to do it on Stop Gender Violence. And at this point, we were having a conversation with WorkSafe, but they were fobbing us off. So they decided to do a, a stunt outside WorkSafe. And they came up with this idea of a gender violence safety crew. So they had hard hats and high beers and stop signs and traffic cones. Mm-hmm. And um, they did this action outside WorkSafe and they were handing flyers out and like stopping people and saying, whoa, hazard, gender violence. And, freaked the hell out of work safe. But so it was very amusing. But after that it was because of the action that those women and men took that WorkSafe said, okay, we need to talk. And they said, you've created a problem for us and now we need to solve this. Mm-hmm. And so we have got commitments from WorkSafe. Um, basically WorkSafe has committed to recognising gender violence as an occupational health and safety issue and they're gonna write guidance material. That's the first step. And it's that guidance material that goes out to employers. They're committed to um, developing a training module to include in the HSR refresher training on gender violence so that HSRs understand this and have capacity. Um, where they're committed to doing a research piece with us so that we can look at the claims data that, of people who are making claims for um, OHS issues or incidences and look at what's going on because we expect there's massive gaps in WorkSafe's how claims. So we expect there's a lot of claims that are gendered violence that aren't getting picked up as gender violence. So um, they've committed to that, and we're also pushing them to commit to um, uh, training the entire inspectorate in gender violence so that when an inspector goes to a workplace, they know what they're looking for, they know how to appropriately identify gender violence and take action. Um, And we're looking for them to set up a... um, In their call call centre, when you call through, we want them to set up a specialist gender violence person that can deal with this, that can identify gender violence when someone calls and make the appropriate referrals and, and address it appropriately. So that's a bunch of things we're doing with WorkSafe. Um, and the other aspect of it is this industrial frame and we are in the process of writing a gender violence model enterprise bargaining clause. So like the family violence clause, this clause you'll be able to negotiate into EBAs and then workers will have actually a clause in an EBA, they'll have real rights that they can actually take and you could potentially take it to the Fair Work Commission. So that's what we're doing um, loosely. Um, so it'll be exactly one year since we released the report and we will be releasing the clause and we'll be workshopping the clause. So the clause was written collectively by our activists. So we didn't sit down and write the clause. We run a whole bunch of workshops and said, what does the clause look like? women, workers and others um, and so this clause is written collectively everything we do is collective um, and we're going to be launching it there well, um, right. Right. Is there any question or anyone wants to mm-hmm. thank you so thank you. much that's where we have to leave the discussion on gendered violence at work today thanks to the organisers, the Geelong Women's Unionist Network and the Victorian Trades Hall for having us and all the participants for allowing us to record the discussion If any of the content in the discussion you just listened to raised questions or caused distress to you, you can call 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732. The discussion took place at the Geelong Trades Hall as part of the Working Women Get Organised conference held in November 2017. 
Thanks to Hope, Ayan and MV for production and recording. For more information on the issue, check out unionwomen.org.au, their Gendered Violence at Work campaign. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital or streaming at 3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.